Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Goldsevich. And now, here's Jay. And extended applause. <laughs> Robin surprising me a little bit. And good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, at least for another 12 months. <laughs> and uh, we're coming to you live from soggy downtown Elmira. It is just raining cats and dogs outside and the yard's full of puddles. And I, you know, was driving around a little bit today, and, and the Long Tom River is almost up the territorial highway there, uh, and I'm sure it's not going to be long before at least the creek down the road on the other side of me gets over territorial. So if they both get over territorial, it kind of puts me in the middle of a, an island. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been uh, some strange weather over the last couple of weeks here in Oregon. You know, landslides on Highway 126 and and flooding here and there and now we're going to get snow down to the valley floor it looks like come this weekend so be prepared everybody and, and if you're, you have any thoughts of going over the passes that's not going to be such a good idea over the next week so you know careful in your travels for the holidays here you know uh, look at the weather ahead of you uh, prepare your routes maybe thinking about changing your routes you know just be aware, slow down, take it easy, and have a safe uh, holiday with the weather here. But, you know, we got so much to talk about today. Um, made a little announcement yesterday. We'll talk about that. You know, we, we got, you know, a few other things to talk about. But I want to remind folks, we are a call-in show. And that's, you know, the thing we en- enjoy is when people call and maybe take us off topic a little bit or have a different question or a different point of view they want to express. 646-721-9887 is how you reach the show. And don't forget to press one. So it you know, puts a little icon up on our, on our board there so we know you want to actually speak on the show because we do get people that call in just to listen to the show because they might be away from their computers or in an area where they don't get fast enough Internet to stream that way. And if you actually call into the show and it's on your phone, you don't have to worry so much. You know, cell phone towers usually aren't going to buffer you. <laughs> so, again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so that Robin, my call screener, and producer extraordinaire knows you want to get in on the show. So, yesterday I let people know something I've actually made a decision of probably a couple of years back now because I've been making plans about this for quite a while which is I am going to retire at the end of this term. I'm not going to run for re-election next year, and I am going to serve out my term and continue working for the citizens of West Lane. It's been an honor for the last 11 years serving them, and I get one more year, so it'll be a total of 12 years of being a county commissioner. And, um, you know, I sense I'm getting a little jaded sometimes and, 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 it's time for somebody else to come in that maybe isn't, you know, isn't getting a little long in the tooth as I am and, and uh, a grumpy old man and, and has some energy and, and jumps into the role and, and does the best job they can. I've never believed in passing term limits. I believe that every election is an opportunity for the citizens to limit, you know, people in their terms if they've been there too long and are becoming ineffective or setting their ways or, 
you know, whatever it is. Um, but I also believe in not making a career of being a politician. So 12 years is, is short of a career, I think, um, but pretty long time. It's three successive terms. And I think it's time for me to hand over the, the reins of, of the county to somebody new. Um, of course, I'm one of five. I don't really have the reins only in my hands. But, uh, yeah, we've done some amazing things while I've been a commissioner. And, you know, it's, it was a mess when I came into office. I mean, I, you know, I think people that have been in Lane County long enough will remember something called the book club and the secret meetings that were going on to try and prearrange votes on and prearrange how the county's budget was going to get passed, including um, cutting jail beds while at the same time adding back into the budget assistant, personal assistance for the commissioners. <laughs> you know, it was one of those. Uh, just I, I, what were you guys thinking type, type things, um, you know, violations of public meeting laws, you know, because of those secret meetings and lawsuits that went on and having to settle a three quarter of a million dollar lawsuit with um, the, the plaintiffs about the, that public meeting violation. Um, you know, that was what I came into. Same time, um, the board had kind of set the county budget up to fall off a cliff where they they had in the last uh, re-up of SRS five years previously, they knew it was going to, the, the SRS funding was supposed to terminate and it was going to be tapering down. So what they did was they took the average of those five years and budgeted for that average over the five years. And then, so as I came in, that that changeover from the average of five years to nothing basically happened, and we were faced with a 20% real dollar budget cut we had to make the very first year I was a commissioner. Um, so because of that, and the fact that we were going to have to make additional budget cuts the next couple of years because things were just so out of whack budget-wise, uh, the Secretary of State's office did a, an audit of counties at that time and placed us on a list of counties that could possibly go bankrupt. So from a watch list of, of possible insolvency, we managed to, you know, to write the financial ship of Lane County, um, you know, balance the incomes with expenditures, you know, ongoing income with ongoing expenditures. If we have one-time money come in and it was used for one-time expenses, not to pay for an ongoing, you know, um, program, and we paid down some debt, refinanced some debt as interest rates dropped, and subsequently we got several reduct several improvements in our Moody's bond rating, which led to reductions in what we would refinance things for. We could get better interest rates which is we utilize that and refinance even more debt at lower rates. But ultimately, Moody's gave Lane County the highest bond rating the county has ever had historically. So from potential insolvency to the highest financial rating by Moody's the county has ever had historically, that's a pretty amazing story. And that happened really in the first eight years of being in office. That, you know, we, we set up that, that financial system. I'm a little concerned that we're going backwards a bit on that. In fact, I, I was concerned that we're using some of the ARPA money to fund something that's going to be an ongoing program. Uh, and we had a little bit of a discussion about that in our last board meeting. Didn't get to talk about it on the Bo's Nose show last week because you know, we had Kyle Blaine on, which was a really great interview. What a what a wonderful county commissioner um, Mr. Blaine would make. But uh, yeah, we're we're starting to do some things that we kind of made 
policy against doing in my first eight years. And since the board majority has flipped to a bunch of progressive Democrats, um, we are now starting to backslide financially as far as the decisions we're making at the county. You know, and it, you know, we started with that public meetings and, and the, you know, some huge trust issues on the county. The county had gone out 14 times in the previous 20 years to try and pass levies to support public safety in the county because, you know, it's always been an issue where we've underfunded our public safety system. And of course, in our first year, we had to, you know, 20% cut. You've got to get into some, some lean rather than just fat. You know, that you don't get 20% just cutting fat. And uh, we cut public safety even further. But we managed to show that we prioritized it in such ways that we made the least cuts there and that we were doing the right things and that we had started doing everything out in the open in, in full view of the public, that in 2013, a couple short years after I'd taken office, we passed the first public safety levy in Lane County in a generation. We had rebuilt that trust with the, with the public. And then four years later, we renewed that levy on an almost three-to-one vote. Now, fast forward to the last couple of years, and we're starting to see, you know, executive sessions being used to make decisions about uh, vaccine mandates for employees and executive sessions being used to talk about whether or not uh, which set of districts are going to apply for the upcoming elections, which, by the way, it's going to be the old districts. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, you know, those, are, you know, I, I can't not feel good about a lot of what I've done as a commissioner. And probably one of the things that I, I really feel great about is just the one-on-one -on -one helping of people that happens over the course of being a commissioner. And I, I, I've told a lot of people this, sometimes I feel like a concierge in that I've gained so much knowledge through, you know, my interactions with government and now being a commissioner that a lot of times all I'm really doing when somebody contacts me, you know, whether it's a telephone contact, an email, Facebook, you know, PM or whatever contact, they've got a problem. They don't know what to do about it. Whether it's their neighbors are, are doing something they think is illegal um, or against the zoning code to uh, they can't get their building permit released to, you know, they're having trouble getting VA benefits or they're having trouble with the Social Security Administration. My knowledge or my ability to ask the right people, like some of my staff or, or you know, if I if it's a federal issue, asking congressional staff question, or if it's a state issue, going to a state legislative staff. My knowledge and contacts have allowed me to basically come back to that person and go, you know, I can't really help you with that, but this is the person you should talk to. And the the relief you hear from those people when they actually they're actually making progress towards solving their problem. It is amazing. And quite often, you know, I, I can manage to actually get the problem solved for them, which is even better. But just being able to connect them where they, they just had no idea where to go because they're, you know, average Joe citizen out there isn't like me as a county commissioner involved with government all the time. They don't know which level of government deals with that issue, who to talk to, what department, you know, they just know something's wrong and, and they need help. And quite often I've been able to supply that help. And that's, that's probably been the most rewarding part of being a commissioner is all those people probably in the hundreds now that I've personally gotten some assistance for, you know, and, and connected them with the right person or, or moved on. And occasionally, sometimes you can't help them. Probably one of the most frustrating things I've had as a commissioner is when I couldn't help because we just don't have the resources or they're just the states put a roadblock in a way with some 
some legislation where there's no solution available to them. You know, it's really frustrating sometimes when somebody wants to do something on their property, but the state land use laws that the legislators passed just basically say you can't do that. You know, there's, and there's no way there's no way around it. There's no appeal. There's no uh, exemption process. It's just it's the way the state wrote the law. And the only way to get it changed is you're going to have to get the law changed, which is a long term and cumbersome process for an average citizen that just wanted to build a barn or something, you know, uh, on their property. Uh, you know, it, it's just you, you can imagine um, sometimes that's a really tough thing. But probably the real frustrating thing is when I hear from people about, you know, somebody came on our property took my my husband's tool trailer that he uses for you know his plumbing business or whatever and we can't even get a decent investigation into the theft because we're out here in the country and the sheriff's office just you know it's you know they're you know they'll try and find it but you know they're not sure they can give us much help and that's all about lack of staffing due to lack of resources which comes into that, you know, whole issue about the federal timber dollars. You know, SRS I referred to or, or earlier was the Secure Rural Schools Act, which provided temporary replacement funding for the timber money that used to come to the counties, but they cut back on all the timber harvest for various environmental reasons, which, by the way, recently a judge has ruled that the Bureau of Land Management is violating their, their, the act that actually created the ONC lands and needs to start harvesting more. So um, that's really good news in some ways to say that probably wouldn't happen if it hadn't been for the Association of Oregon and California counties that actually brought the lawsuit that caused the judge's order. That might actually get us back to, you know, getting some harvest out of those ONC lands and providing the funding into the counties. And that ONC funding comes into the general fund where we fund our sheriff's department. Meanwhile, our new progressive majority, one of the first things they did was stop paying dues to the Association of ONC counties. That's fighting for those federal dollars. So that's kind of, you know, that's probably been one of my most frustrating things is to have to, to you know, say to people, yeah, I know, it, you know, you can't get a sheriff. We only have three on duty at any one time. And if there's a an assault, you know, a domestic violence assault call on one side of the county, they can't be on your side of the county to investigate that trailer that got stolen that is actually, you know, putting your husband out of business until you can replace all that equipment, you know, and work through the insurance company process and pay the deductible on, on the claim and everything. Um, it's just, you know, that's so frustrating. While at the same time, I'm watching policies implemented at the state level and the local level that are enabling people to stay in addictive phases that are doing most of that property theft to pay for their addictions. Another frustration of mine. But, you know, I, I've enjoyed my public service. Um, you know, I, I'm ready for my next phase in life. I'll be 65 before my term ends and uh, eligible for Medicare and all those good things that I've paid into for my 40 some year working career. And I'm looking forward to kicking back and maybe getting a fishing line wet once in a while and, um, you know, just having a, a good time, maybe not being quite so plugged into politics. It will help my blood pressure. But that's kind of, you know, that was my announcement yesterday. I will not be running again. I hope to on a on a upcoming Bo's Nose show have on the person that is going to probably be filing fairly soon to run in my seat, 
that I really think would be a good replacement for myself. And we'll we'll have that person on the Bo's Nose Show and do an extended interview like we did with David Lovell and we did with Kyle Blaine and uh, introduce you to that, that person. But uh, just needed to kind of make my announcement. You know, enough people were starting to know it was kind of getting it was leaking out a little bit. And I just wanted to make that. Plus, it, it's fair to anyone that wants to run for my seat. That I, that I actually let people know one way or another early enough that they can run a campaign. There's nothing worse than some of these politicians that, that hem and haw, I'm going to run, I'm not going to run, or I'm not telling you, and, and make their decision shortly before filing deadline. And then there's very little time for candidates to communicate to the voters and for the voters to make a really educated choice. And I did not want to be that politician. I wanted to make my announcement early enough that the voters have a good amount of time, you know, five months basically before the next election. And um, which, you know, not quite five months, but five months, not six, (laughs) which will be important later on as we start talking in the Bo's Nose show uh, (laughs) about redistricting. Uh, But uh, five months before the election, you know, I, there's plenty of time for folks to get to know candidates, for candidates to make decisions to run and to get fundraising going and get their campaigns up and running and educate the voters about themselves so the voters can make a good choice. So enough about me. Let's talk about the governor for a while. But before I do, I'll just remind folks we are a call-in show we can take this conversation any direction you want, any topics, fair game, just about, as long as you stay civil, you know, because I will dump you if you're getting too rude. <laughs> 646-721-9887. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener, producer extraordinaire, know that you want to actually talk. You're not just calling in to listen. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press one so we know you want to get in on the show. So I talked a couple shows ago about Governor Karen, you know, and her attendance at a indoor fundraising event in Washington, D.C., where she was photographed without a mask on. And, of course, her first response was, well, I took my mask off when I was eating or when I was getting, you know, doing some photographs with people. But other than that, I wore my mask. And then shortly after that statement came out, um, a whole bunch of photographs came out of her in casual conversations with people with no food and drink anywhere nearby. And, you know, hugging people and stuff without a mask on. Uh, yeah, yeah, even though she has a mask mandate here in Oregon, it, you know, then, then her excuse was, well, D.C. doesn't have an indoor mask mandate. Eventually... Governor Karen, you know, because you got to do what Karen says, not what she does, returned to Oregon, and she must have stepped outside for a moment and saw Omicron's shadow and declared that there was going to be six more months of emergency. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I, I still, you know, it's surprising to me that the court system and our legislator legislatures, legislators, tongue-tied a little bit there, have allowed Governor Brown to continue this completely extra um, legal emergency go on, because it is not as our Constitution enables the governor's emergency powers. She should have been able to declare an emergency for 30 days or 60, I'd have to go back and look at the clause in the, in the actual Constitution and ORS. Um, and then at that point, the legislature is the one that votes to continue it. You can't, as the governor, keep continuing it. But, you know, her Supreme Court has been stacked with her appointees, you know, refused to hear the, the, the legal cases against that, basically, and denied them. Legislature, which is in thrall of the governor and Tina Kotek, refuses to keep her in check and obey the Oregon Constitution. So 
Yeah, if you see Omicron's shadow and it's six more months of emergency. Starting to feel like Groundhog Day a little bit in Oregon. And what's fascinating is I'm starting to see studies coming out that says Omicron's not as serious as Delta and the other variants and the original variants. That they're not seeing as, as near as many hospitalizations. They're seeing you know, little to no deaths. And it, for most people, it's a three-day flu, a fever and cold symptoms and, and tiredness. You know, that, that's what they're seeing. So um, that's, that's really fascinating that we're, we're panicking over this, this new variant. Yes, it's it's highly contagious, and yes, it's even infecting people that have been vaccinated. Um, but I think, um, you know, is it time to run around with our hair on fire and extend an emergency another six months? Eh, I don't think so. I mean, even our board over my objections only extended our emergency three months. <laughs> our local emergency here in Lane County. But um, yeah, it, it's just, I'm kind of wondering, you know, and I asked this question in the board meeting, when are we gonna decide this is not no longer a pandemic, but it is an endemic disease to our society? Like many others, it's always going to be there. It's never gonna be completely eradicated. And we have to figure out how we're going to function as a society in the age of SARS-CoV-2, you know, and and knowing it's out there. Now, you know, what's fascinating is the whole refusal, it seems, to be to talk about advances in treatments for this disease and, and how um, there are possible treatments coming down the line that are basically going to make it you know, something that if caught early will be basically just another flu with very few hospitalizations and deaths. But we can't talk about treatments. The only thing they want to talk about in mainstream media and in, and on certain government officials that want to maintain control over the population is you've got to be vaccinated. You have to wear a mask. You have to obey our rules. Never mind those photos you saw of me at that fundraiser, you have to obey my rules. Six more months of emergency. Omicron. Ah, my hair's on fire. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> what would our great-grandparents think of us? <laughs> and our great-great-grandparents. What have we become as a society? Uh, the fear, the fear that runs through us sometimes. Uh, but speaking of six months, other news came out last week that I didn't really get to talk about, which is, you know, basically the county admitting that, yeah, remember all that redistricting stuff we did with the paid political consultant on the independent redistricting committee and the the union people on the redistricting committee and the, and the Democrat operatives on the redistricting committee and us adopting a map over the, the 80 to 90 percent um, public comments in favor of a different map. Um, you remember that? It all happened too late because somebody somewhere along the line forgot to read the Lane County Home Rule Charter. You know, and, and the Lane County Home Rule Charter is not a long document. It is basically Lane County's constitution. And our county code are the statutes and laws of the county. And then beyond that, you know, we have some administrative rules that, that, that implement some of those that code. But basically, it's just, you know, work your way down like that. Home Rule Charter. Constitution. Not a very long document, 
some really simple things, and there's some very specific things about commissioners' elections and districts contained right in there. And one of those very specific things is that when new districts are adopted, they can't apply until six months after they have been finalized. So that whatever election they impact has got to be six months after finalizing them. So the primary election in 2022 is on May 17th. We adopted, or I should say the progressive majority on a 3-2 vote, adopted Map J on December 1st by ordinance without an, an emergency clause which means that that ordinance is not effective for 30 days, which gives the opportunity for signatures to be collected and for somebody to have it placed on the ballot because there is referral in our charter. There's referral power of the citizen, another piece of our constitution that people don't seem to read. So the actual effective date of Map J was December 31st was when it was final. Now, counting backwards from May 17th, at first, some people thought we, well, maybe they're okay because we passed it on the first and we only need to really have it done by December 17th. And I kind of, you know, after, when I saw that email, I replied back to it and said, I know folks in unincorporated rural Lane County don't count, but when I count backwards six months from May 17th, I get November 17th. <laughs> and people kind of scratch their head and said, you know what? That's probably right. Well, you know, we had that executive session supposedly not to make a decision about this, about which was going to apply. And, and I guess we didn't really make the decision because we didn't change what is legal, which is now primary and general election in 2022 will be held with the maps that were adopted by ordinance on June 8th of 2021. You're like, what maps were adopted back in June? Well, you know what? When we started this whole independent redistricting committee thing, and because we knew the census data was coming out late, we knew there were some deadlines in our charter we had to meet. So as a preventative measure, the board on a unanimous 5-0 vote adopted the old districts as the new districts to one, meet the requirement in our charter that we have to adopt the districts once every 10 years, which the last time we did it was in October of 2011, so we had to do it before October, and we knew we had to be six months ahead of time because right in the ordinance adopting those the old districts as our new districts temporarily, supposedly, was a reference to the clause in our charter, Chapter 3, Section 10E, which has the six months before the election requirement. So there's no way anyone on our board can say that they had absolutely no knowledge of that requirement. Now, I've served as chair and vice chair of the board a couple times. So it means I've been on what they call the agenda team, which the chair and the vice chair are part of. It can't be more than two of the board members, otherwise it's a public meeting, where they actually try and make sure the agendas are set up for the board and they even talk about making sure things happen, you know, prior to deadlines so they don't miss deadlines, et cetera. So it is truly, you know, that chair, whoever's chair that year's responsibility to watch the calendar. And frankly, if there's something important to a, your, your majority that you sit on, which I've been in the majority, both three twos and four ones before when I was chair, there was something important to them. Your job was to make sure you did it in a timely manner so it didn't not happen because you missed a calendar date. 
the only people responsible for the fact that next year's elections are going to be run under the old districts is the chair and that progressive majority. If they wanted different districts, they should have been careful to meet those deadlines. And then to try and make you know, the counter argument they've been trying to say, well, we had to wait for the state to finish theirs and there is a lawsuit about it and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you don't. There's no requirement for us to wait till after the state. We are home rule charter county. We can redistrict anytime we want to. If we chose to redistrict once every six months, we could. It'd be a waste of time and money because we wouldn't have good enough population data to reset districts from, and it would just be, you know, an exercise and in, in, in being stupid, kind of. But we could. We're not barred from doing that. The only thing our county charter says is it has to be done a minimum of once every 10 years, and it has to be done, it has to be finalized six months before the election they apply to. Now, there's other law and legal precedents that says you can't change the districts between the primary and the general election because you're changing the voters for that election between the primary and the general. Um, but that's beside the point. That's why it applies to both elections next year, even though the general is more than six months out. But you want to, you know, can you say redistricting fail? But we had, you know, had to hold an executive session to discuss something that was just so obviously only one answer applied. You missed the deadline according to the charter. You passed, you re-upped the old districts back in June by ordinance in a unanimous vote. That's what applies to the May election. No questions, no there's, there's no gray area in that. Why we had to have an executive session, I'll never know. But ultimately, you know, I guess they saw the wisdom in not <laughs> doing something other than just letting, following the charter and following the law. Interesting, another, another closed-door meeting of the Lane County Commission called together by the progressive majority, trying to figure out a way how to get around their home rule charter, which they all should have been well aware of, which if they are really concerned about, they should have been paying attention to the calendar. They should understand what home rule means. I mean, you all have, you know, two of you have been county commissioners for almost three years. You've been through county college with AOC, the Association of Oregon Counties. You should understand the independence of a home rule county and our ability to act independently from state at times in matters of county concern. And how our commissioner districts are is purely a matter of county concern. We don't have to wait for the state set legislative districts to set our districts. Uh, but like I said, you know, I came in to it, you know, after that sort of atmosphere was prevailing prior to my election and, and swearing in. And I'm kind of leaving it in that sort of atmosphere, which feels a little bit bad. I'm just hoping that the voters are paying attention and maybe sweep some of that out and sweep something in that will be open and transparent to the citizens of Lane County. So I'm going to take a breath here and, uh, you know, remind folks who are calling show 646-721-9887. And maybe uh, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Maybe we'll get more cheerful because it's almost Christmas. Jingle bells and all that good stuff. Oh, gosh. You ready for Christmas, Robin? 
Are, are you sure you're allowed to say that word? Uh, I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the First Amendment. You know, somewhere about, you know, government not establishing a religion. You know, Dad. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the establishment clause there. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. You're sort of allowed to be whatever religion you want in your own private lives. Oh, well, in that case, then... Uh... That's how I feel about. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Well, we, uh, you know, we're uh, talking about Christmas uh, carols and bad Christmas carols and stuff like that um, with some people today, and you know, I was, you know, thinking about, you know, Grandma got run over by a reindeer, and you know, all I want for Christmas is you, and <laughs> you know, a few others. What's the most annoying Christmas carol you know? Oh God! The most annoying are the one that gets stuck in your head forever. Yeah. I when I worked in a uh, in a strip mall, and they had you know Christmas music on the speakers and carolers and everything. I said, if I heard Rudolph one more time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Robin, we got somebody that wants to jump in on this conversation. All right, let's just bring him in live. Uh, caller, who do we have here? You're on with Jay. Can't hear you. Are you muted? No, he should be on there. Oh, oh, yeah. Go ahead and call back and try again, caller. Um, see if we can get you through. Yeah, I promise he doesn't bite. Yeah, but... no, I don't bite. <laughs> We're a little silly at times, but I don't bite. And get a little sarcastic, maybe. Ah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but... Grumpy old man, yeah, maybe. Get off my lawn. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't do that till next year. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, it looks like our caller's back. You want? That's okay. We'll bring. See now. Time. Yeah, we'll go ahead and bring him on live. Oh, am I unmuted? Now you are. Hey, welcome to the Bo's Nose Show. <laughs> Who do we have? Uh, this is Bill. Hi, Commissioner. How you doing? Thanks for calling in, Bill. Yeah, Bill London. You may have heard of him. Yeah, I kind of recognize who Bill (laughs) that was just from the voice. Speaking of grumpy old men. Yeah, Yeah, well, did you put a cloud for one? What'd you say, Robin? (laughs) He was saying, speaking of grumpy old men, I go, yeah, did you put a call out for one? (laughs) Well, kind of. (laughs) Um, So I've got a a couple of questions for you. Um, the first, the first one would be, how come there was never a move in terms of law enforcement, uh, in particular the Lane County Sheriff's Office, to take that budget, which is now a part of the discretionary budget for the county, and try to make it more structural to where there would always be at least some sort of set level of funding for the Sheriff's Office? Um, the times we have things where there's like non-discretionary funding is usually when it's passed through from another, um, level of government. Like we get money from the gas tax from the state that can only be spent on our roads. You know, that's a non-discretionary funds and that's not a guaranteed amount of money we're going to get. Um, in fact, there's very little um, programs where we can guarantee we have enough, we have this much money every time spent. Um, so it, it ends up being part of our general fund, although parts of it, parts of it are not. I'm getting a lot of noise in the background there. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Is that better? Um, that's better. Um, they, but they, they, um, I would like to have that. We do sort of have it in one way. When we pass the public safety levy, that public safety levy has a, you know, a certain percentage that goes directly to the sheriff's office and is only there to support the jail operations. And we have no discretion over that. Um, 
us, the voters, when we passed it, that we wouldn't decrease the general fund support of the jail. So we kind of have a secondary sort of where we sort of made some of that non-discretionary, but that's the, that we could break that promise, you know, at risk of not being able to renew the levy possibly in the future. It's not illegal for us. Right. Okay. Next question. What is something that um, you were passionate about in terms of wanting to do for the county that you have not had a chance to do now that you've announced your retirement? Um, I was pretty passionate. Is there something banging in the background, Bill? Yeah, it's it's my neighbor in his garage. I'm outside. I'm, sit, I'm sitting. I'm sitting on my porch having my coffee this this afternoon. So sorry like about that. Vacation, falling into a show to talk news stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I know. Uh, I'm stupid that yeah, way. There, yeah, there are a couple things that I'm a little disappointed I didn't wasn't able to get done. Um, one of which was um, getting the courthouse off the ground, the new courthouse. Um, I know to some people it might seem like, you know, something that was, wasn't a hundred percent necessary. Um, I'm, you know, being an engineer and also being involved in the public safety realm a lot. I understand how inadequate our current County courthouse is and how unsafe it is for employees and for the folks attending uh, court. Uh, it's just not a safe facility. Um, it's not secure uh, in a lot of ways. Um, some of which I can't talk about because we don't advertise where we have vulnerabilities. Uh, but, you know, it's just really a needed replacement, and in, and we need a bigger courthouse um, because we are actually restricted in our ability to function our, in our justice system by this, by our, our actual court facilities. Not being able to quite get that done um, is something I, I, I regret not getting done. Um, you know, that that's I haven't been able to get Beltline Road over the river or uh, 126 between Eugene and Benita improved. I've moved the needle on those. I've got NEPA studies done and, and, and the preparatory work, but actually getting the funding and knowing that the work is going to get done hasn't quite happened yet. So those are a couple things just for starters. Yeah. Um... Oh, man. Uh, so many different ways to go here. Has your legislative liaison by any chance, has anybody put that together, any numbers, how much the new cap and trade rules from the DEQ are going to end up costing the county in terms of uh, extra fuel costs, uh, the cost of asphalt and other issues, concrete, et cetera, for further uh, build-outs, road repair, uh, just keeping the county when they have to get the trucks out, the vehicles out moving? No, un unfortunately. I, I, you know, and under this current majority, I don't know if I could get three head nods for staff to spend enough time to do that because they agree with, with the governor. Okay. Um, It'll be a lot. Let me just put it that way. The number will probably be something people don't want to hear. Oh, but we want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, we do. And and at one point, I did research how much the uh, at one point when uh, they were trying to pass a clean diesel bill, just the, right. the expedited um, replacement of our our truck fleet in public works was going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for the county if not several million. So, yeah, this is, this is that on steroids, you know, it goes even further than that. You know, that, that was just about replacing out of date, um, what they considered out of date diesel trucks. Okay. Uh, final question, I guess for me is, do you have any good tips for animal husbandry? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Bill's making reference to the fact that I keep ducks. Um, you know, 
for two reasons. I love duck eggs, and they really take care of the slug and snail problem in the Northwest um, that we have here in the Willamette Valley. Um, don't have to bother putting out slug bait or anything like that. The ducks take care of that stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I have multiple tips, you know, one of which is, uh, you know, you, you, have, you have to put them away at night because there are predators like fishers and, and uh, bobcats that will take your ducks at nighttime if you don't put them up in a pen that's completely wired over, you know, roof and sides. Uh, I've learned six feet high, you know, fence isn't even high enough to keep predators out in this, you know, area. But that pen, if you put about a foot or so of round rock, open round rock in it, you can just wash the pen down with a hose because duck poop's kind of water soluble. <laughs> and, uh, and it works out really well, you know, about once a week, you know, and, it's, and it doesn't stink because it washes down into that, that rock and it acts like a, um, what they call a slow sand filter at a uh, water treatment plant. So, you know, it's an easy way to, to be taking care of your ducks is, you know, inside that enclosure you keep your ducks, you put about a foot of round rock, and then you can wash it down really easy with a hose. <laughs> How's that for an animal that, husband new tip? That's awesome. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, anyway, Merry Christmas to you and yours, Commissioner, and thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks for coming on, Bill. Anytime. Take care. You too. And if folks didn't recognize that voice, that was Bill London from KPNW AM 1120 here in uh, Eugene. One of the wake-up call there on, uh, and also their news director. And, you know, Bill and I have known each other for a while. In fact, he had just started the wake-up call more or less when this, and, and, you know, it's kind of funny how history repeats itself some ways. We had this president that was pushing this massive spending bill, which we thought was massive at the time, which now looks tiny in comparison to the, um, you know, American Rescue Plan, let alone the uh, additional uh, Build Back Better bill and everything else that's been going on. But there is this president that was looking at doing all the spending and also a previous president that had done some things that was even a, a Republican, you know, that had done some things with rescuing industries during a recession. And this movement started called the Tea Party. And for some, I, I, for some reason, I signed up online to be the local coordinator of, of some of the, the rally that was going to happen on tax day that year and which Grew, which got a life of its own, and 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 next thing I know, I'm being interviewed on this show called The Wake Up Call by a guy named Bill London. <laughs> That's how we met, and that was way back in 2009. So I've known Bill for longer than I've been a commissioner, and way back to my tea party, tri-corner hat-wearing days uh, of protesting federal spending. And it seems, you know, I've mentioned on this show before, it seems like it might be time for another one of those tea parties if they keep pushing this Build Back Better bill. Um, because we are seeing what happens when you spend money to try and resurrect an economy. You know, first of all, the federal government spends it with, picks out winners and losers in the economy and how they spend that money. And Build Back Better is a perfect example of that, you know, being focused on green energy and things like that. Um, so that's, you know, government is a horrible distributor of capital in, in the economy. It's much better to have the private sector do that. Um, but what it causes is the government has to print the money to distribute. What happens when you print more money? It devalues that money. When the money supply jumps, and boy, if you want to look at something scary, look at the M1 money supply graphs for the last several years. It's no wonder we're seeing what is currently being reported as 6.8% inflation, wholesales up close to 10%. I'm worried it's going to go even higher, and we're looking at, you know, <laughs> some of these, you know, really 
bad inflation numbers in the future, we've got to get control of our federal budget and our deficit and our printing of money. And build back better is not the way to do it. And, and you know, you, you just can't increase the money supply like that. So it's causing the Federal Reserve now to talk about they're going to have to raise interest rates at, at least three times over the next year. Now, for all of you that have had to build up credit card debt because you might have gotten less hours or, you know, had to spend some extra money during the COVID shutdowns, or, um, you know, you might be thinking about buying a house or something, that's going to impact you. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> you know, it's, you know it, it, it amazes me how people can disconnect themselves from the basic concepts of economics and money supply and things like that at the federal level. Ah, Robin's waiting to jump in on this one. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that uh, maybe being part of the requirement for being elected is to take one college course of Econ 101. Yeah, well, you know, it depends on what course you take. True. Because there's different schools of economics. And, you know, there's Keynesian, Sir Alfred Keynes, uh, Keynes. Uh, I always pronounce that wrong. Sir Alfred Keynes, but they call it Keynesian. I don't know why they pronounce it. They do that differently. But, you know, he was a big, if the government spends money, it's going to help the economy. But ultimately, he even said he didn't know where that ended. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of economic schools now are teaching that economics. And this, this you know, government control of the economy Government spending generates economic activity when they really don't tell you that it actually just suppresses it. Because even if the government isn't raising taxes, the fact that it's borrowing money and causing increased interest rates suppresses the economy. Taking money out of the economy, no matter how you look at it, or our future economy, you know, our children's economies. Yes, they should. But one of my fellow commissioners actually has a degree in economics. I disagree on this sort of policy with all the time. Why? I follow more what they call Chicago School or, you know, Milton Friedman and some of the free market economists that don't believe that government is the answer. And he's more of the Harvard, Sir Alfred Kynes, that side of the economic schools. So there's and there's in-betweens and stuff like that. But um you can have a degree in economics and still not make good economic decisions. <laughs> exactly. I also want to give a quick um, hat tip to Bill London and KPNW as being the only real, in my opinion, news um, source in Lane County. As Bill has, what was it, Snow again and when he uh, spent days there and how many people have actually contacted you regarding this and Yep. He's a newsman. Yep, yep. And, and you know, Bill has his sources and uses them well. And I, I have to admit, over the years, I've supplied Bill with a lot of information, uh, particularly like during the fires in Snowmageddon, that most stations may not have gotten as quickly as Bill gets it because Bill, you know, made that relationship and developed that contact. He's a true old school news guy. Yeah, 11.20 a.m. And he's local. Unfortunately, our part location. Well, yeah. bit. well, I mean, local news and stuff like that, you know. But he's he's just he's covering local news the way it should be covered, and covering stories that are you know you won't see in the Register Guard, which is no longer a local paper. It basically whatever is in USA Today plus one or two local stories and a sports page, and the sports page can't even get the duck scores in the day after the game. So, you know, we no longer really have a local newspaper. Our television station staffs are are getting younger and younger because they're, you know, and it, this is a sign of the times competing with social media and other new media, net, you know, uh, ways of taking in content. The viability of, you know, 
television news and newspapers is falling off and their ability to pay staff that's doing real reporting like Bill London does is disappearing. But I'm noticing I'm going past my hour and we're getting into, you know, that beyond time. And I'm going to shut up about local news, say thank you, Bill London, for everything you do. Thanks for calling in. And uh, just say thank you to all the voters of West Lane for the trust you placed in me. I will continue to work hard for you over the next year. And we'll be back next week when most people are off for another edition of the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.